I'm going to catch you before you flip over to Proverbs to turn back. We're going to start by way of introduction by looking at Ephesians chapter 5, if you want to turn back there. Um, Ephesians, as you know, we'll talk about it in the scripture reading in the sermon hour today, um, starts with this wonderful unfolding of the gospel, what what the Lord Jesus Christ has done in his life and his death and his resurrection, and, and even in, in the mind plan of God before the foundations of the world were laid, that God had this plan uh, to draw a people to himself, that the Lord Jesus would come to bring reconciliation and atonement to save people from sin and draw them to himself. And so there's this wonderful... Uh, uh, overview of the gospel in the first three chapters. And then in in chapter 4, the hinge of the book, uh, the Apostle Paul reminds his readers, these these Christian folks in the uh, Ephesian church, he says to them, in light of that gospel, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. And and as he unfolds that, what does it mean to walk in a manner worthy? Chapter 4 talks about how pastors equip the saints and believers do the work of service. They speak the truth in love. And and he lays out a paradigm for sanctification. How do we grow in application of gospel truths to real-life problems? And, And so having laid that paradigm, he's unfolded the schematic. It's on the wall. He's explained it to them. Now he's going to get into the the nitty-gritty issues of what are some of the ways specifically in which we need to apply our faith to life. And that leads us to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. But, verse 3, immorality or impurity or greed must not even be named among you as is proper among saints or among holy ones, those who have been sanctified as believers in their conversion. Um, Rather, he says, there must be no filthiness, no silly talk or coarse jesting which are not fitting but rather the giving of of thanks. For this you know with certainty that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. That's where he starts. Now, I want you to think with me about the challenge of what he's just said. We are men and women who have been redeemed in Christ. But we have inside of us this thing called remaining sin. And that remaining sin is on a mission every day to steer you and to steer me away from righteousness and away from the Word of God and away from biblical truth and gospel-driven living back into those old habits and even new ways of demeaning the name of God by walking in sin. And it's interesting, I alluded to this last time, that the very first topic, as he's unfolded the gospel, he's explained sanctification, he says, okay, let's get down to it. What's the first topic that a man or woman in Christ ought to pursue in their walk of sanctification? And he goes after the issue of sexual purity. 
Now, you understand something of the culture in the first century. Uh, it was just as ungodly when Solomon is writing. And, and we look around today and we say we live in an ungodly, perverse, sexually immoral culture. And, and that, that is something of the, the radical nature of this. Um, to be uh, teenagers, to be a young man or a young woman who walks in purity is is making yourself Jurassic. I mean, I mean you, you are a dinosaur in terms of the expectations and the commonalities and the typical practices of a person your age in this culture. N- not, not only is it radical in terms of expectation, it's radical in terms of actually doing it because at every turn in this culture, you will find occasion for sexual sin of some kind or to some degree. And, and, and the, the danger of temptation is something out there resonates with something in here, that remaining sin, and in the connection point of that, we are led into the opportunity of sexual sin. And yet I'm here to tell you that what God has put at the front of our priority list, what what should be on the top of our sanctification to-do list, is to pursue a life of sexual purity. Now Solomon, being a wise father, understanding something of this problem himself, sits down with his kids and says, we need to talk about the birds and the bees as it relates to your faith. And that's where we find ourselves today, if you want to turn back now uh, with that introduction to Proverbs chapter 5. We're looking in this chapter about seven habits for avoiding sexual sin. Uh, Solomon, as he sits down with his family, and uh, he begins to discuss this topic with his children, uh, he knows, Solomon knows, and all godly fathers know, that Satan would gladly take over as your child's parent in this area, if you don't. Uh, Satan will be your child's buddy. He'll be your child's counselor. You'll be your child's influence. And because that's his agenda, and because we live in an ungodly culture, and because our children have indwelling sin within them, as dads, we have a three-front war in the battle for the sexual purity of our children. And yet we remember, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And we take comfort and confidence in the Lord's work in the lives of our children. So what have we seen thus far? We've seen that Solomon takes the initiative to sit down and talk with his children about the topic of sexual immorality and even sexual intimacy in the marriage relationship. He doesn't wait for the battle to come into his home. He takes initiative and sits down. This is, this is the preemptive strike of parenting in regard to addressing sexual immorality. Um, and, and you know uh, the, the world is changing. Uh, when you were growing up, when I was growing up, uh, parents here, grandparents here, the world was very different. I mean, sexual immorality was there. Uh, it was a battle for us. It was a battle in your generation, a battle in, in whatever generation uh, that you grew up in. Uh, we've always struggled with sexual sin in our hearts. It's part of the fall. It's part of the fact that we are, we are fallen creatures. But there's something about the generation today 
that makes this battle even more significant, at least from an external standpoint. Um, it's interesting, um, uh, guys that, that document sociological trends are really interesting to read, and I think very helpful for both parents, those of us that are parents as well as those of us in the church trying to equip people. Um, what makes pornography the epidemic that it is today? I mean, pornography has been around for a long time. But what, why is it so problematic? I mean, we're talking 80 to 90% of men will struggle, do struggle with pornography at some level. Okay. What's that? Accessibility. Okay, it's accessibility. There's, there's three factors that make it an epidemic. Okay, it's accessibility. You don't have to walk into a 7-Eleven anymore, right? You just access the internet. So accessibility, what's the other thing? There's three things. Accessibility. Yes. Well, Satan is alive and well. He is working hard. That's true. That's always been the case. So that's absolutely true. What are the two other cultural things that have changed? Yes. Okay, it is more acceptable. Okay, that is a byproduct of these other two things, though. You're right. Yes, this, this is the guess what Keith is thinking game. Well, you know, it used to be they'd say it was a victimless crime. Okay. I don't know how it would fit into, I'm not saying it is, I'm just saying that was one of the excuses that would be given for Okay, yeah, that's true. That is true. Um, okay, let me help you here. It is readily accessible. You can access it anonymously. And there's no cost. So you can get it, no one knows about it, and there's no cost to you. And when those three things come together, you have this epidemic. And that is true. It is true uh, what Gail said. It is true what James said. The culture has changed. Satan certainly is alive and well. But, but, that, but that's, that's the difference between 30 years ago or 40 years ago and today. It's, it's this wonderful and deadly thing we call the Internet. So Solomon sits down with his children and he says, let me give you seven things to avoid a life of involvement in sexual sin. I, I, we, we must believe, parents, grandparents, we must believe that with God's grace and help, it is possible for a young person to pursue and live a life of purity. We have to believe that ourselves. Uh, sometimes you get discouraged like I do and I go, is it even possible? Um, God says it is. So let's look at some of these principles. Let, let, by way of review, let's look at the ones we, we talked about last time. Uh, arm yourself with wisdom from God's word. We see in the first couple of verses, Solomon sits down and he says, Give attention to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding that you may observe discretion. Your lips may reserve knowledge. Four words used there to... Um, Point back to the word of God. Solomon is not just giving his counsel. I mean, good night. Who is, who is Solomon? Let's just think about this for a minute. He's the wisest man that ever lived, but he's also the guy with how many wives? Between wives and girlfriends, he's got a thousand ladies. Which does argue against being wise, yeah. Which, <laughs> be careful, be careful. Um, Let's go back to the text here before we get in trouble. Um, yes. 
But that shows us, and, and, and if I could take Jack's point, but, but come back to, to a serious matter, um, as parents, we don't point to our life or our counsel and say, son, daughter, this is the standard. Because in one way or another, all of us as parents have failed in some way in the arena of sexual purity. Okay? We don't come into the world sexually pure and then we lose it. The Bible says we come into the world fallen, condemned, wicked sinners. We don't know anything about sexual purity, we, we, that we need redemption, we need Jesus for that. So, so we don't hold out our life as the standard, we hold out the word of God as the standard. Now, that doesn't mean we ought to uh, not think about our example. Certainly our example as, as parents ought to um, display the types of things that we're entrusting to our children but we're not pointing our children to our example and saying, say, hey, we look, be like this. We are pointing our children to the example of the word of God. And of course, Solomon, good night. I mean, this, if, if there was a serious issue that this man dealt with, it was a problem in his sexual relationships. In fact, um, uh, many scholars think that the book of Proverbs represents, at least in part, a lot of earlier work in his life and then Ecclesiastes being his biography and the historical books in the Old Testament tell us about his departure from wisdom into foolishness, into ungodliness. Ecclesiastes is that biography. And at the end of his life, he finally comes back. And you remember those last few verses of Ecclesiastes, chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, where he says, there is only one thing that matters, because I've tried everything else, and I'm here to tell you, it's all unsatisfying and misery and unhelpful. And what's the one thing? Fear God and keep his commandments. And he starts off that section, remember your creator when? In the days of your youth. It's, it's an old man looking back saying, you know what, i got some regrets in my life. So let me tell you the way it really is in hopes that you can avoid some of those things. So if that's, if, if that's the timeline, we understand that Solomon is sitting down here on the front end of his parenting and um, before, probably before he made a lot of very ungodly choices regarding women. So the first thing he says is uh, you need to pay attention to the Word of God. And, and if you're a teenager, now is the time to develop the habit in your life of reading God's Word, learning how to interpret it for yourself, and learning how to apply it and live it out in your daily life. Uh, uh, one of the great marks of spiritual maturity is when you are a self-irrigating Christian, if I can say it like that. Um, yes, we need sermons. Yes, we need Bible studies. Yes, we need community. Yes, we need all those things. But, but a key piece of spiritual maturity is you can sit down and open the Bible and feed yourself on the Word. And, and I, I know, I think all the teenagers in our church, are, you, you guys are bright, smart, gifted young men and women. And, and you can do this. You need to learn this. Because that is, at, at the end of the day, it's not you and your parents or you and your friends or you and your spouse, you know, you and, and your church. It's you and your walk with God in that moment. So pursue a life of wisdom 
from God's word. That was the first thing we looked at last time. The second thing we looked at last time was understanding the deceitfulness and destructiveness of immorality in verses 3 to 6. This is the, that text where Solomon says to his children, he says, uh, the lips of the adulteress drip honey. It's sweet. It's desirable. It's something attractive. It's something that is, is uh, satisfying. And yet in the end, she's as bitter as wormwood. And, and that's, that's the deception. That, that's what sexual sin does. It promises pleasure. It promises satisfaction. It's attractive. It's desirable. There's something in your fallenness that is attracted to it. But it's deception. It's tricking you. It's lying to you. Because what looks like honey, Solomon is saying, is really wormwood. You get fruit with wormwood, the little bushes of the ancient day, and they would, uh, they would get um, oil from these bushes, and that oil was exceedingly bitter. So, so you can imagine, if you reach for a Diet Coke, and someone has slipped some vinegar in there, and you take a swig of that, expecting the sweetness of of uh, soda, and it's like, ugh! And you want, to, okay, and and that's what Solomon is saying. It, it's not just the fact that it's it's bitter; it's that you've been tricked. And that's how that's how sexual that's how all sin works. Sin works by tricking you, by by lying to you. And so, part of sexual purity is learning when some in in my fallenness in my indwelling sin i see something i come across something i think something that starts the temptation in sexual sin part of how you avoid that is by seeing i have to stop take myself by the collar as it were and say that's a lie that's tricking me and I need to see through that in the moment. It looks like honey, but it's actually wormwood. In fact, it's worse than wormwood. She, uh, Solomon says here, her, her, um, uh, she is sharp as a two-edged sword. The thing you think will satisfy you actually is the thing that kills you. So be careful. Sexual sin is deceitful. It lies to you. And destructive, it will kill you. This lady, look back at the text there. She doesn't ponder the path of life. Her ways are unstable. She does not know it. Her feet go down to death. Her steps take hold of Sheol. If you want to go to hell, get on the road of the immoral woman. If you want to fast lane your trip to the lake of fire, this is the path to take. So we want to be careful. We want to understand the deceitfulness and destructiveness of sexual sin. You remember what what, um, what Solomon says later on in the Proverbs about alcohol and and the addiction cycle and how we can get caught up in this. You know, your eye, you'll get drunk, right? And your eyes will see strange things. Your mouth will utter perverse things. You'll be like the guy at the top of the mast. You know, you're sick. You're hungover. You're the misery of of too much to drink. And the proverb ends with, what happens in the morning? When will I stop this? Well, I'll try to stop this by taking another drink. 
And it's this habitual cycle of knowing it's wrong, knowing it's destructive, knowing it's deceitful, but continuing to do the same thing over and over and over again. And Solomon says, how do you get out of that? He's saying, you have to see through it and fight that in the moment. There's another thing we need to do. We talked about this last time. Don't go anywhere near temptation. Don't go anywhere near temptation. Verse 7. Now then, my sons, listen to me, and do not depart from the words of my mouth. What is the easiest thing you can do to avoid sexual immorality? This works for teenagers. This works for people in their 70s. Okay? What is it? Because sexual purity and the battle for sexual sin is not a teenage problem alone is it it's a human problem how do we avoid it don't go near it don't go near it we talked the last time jesus said in matthew 5 if your your right hand uh, or your, your right eye makes you sin pluck it out now now we we think a little bit like when paul was talking to the corinthians speaking of corinthians jack where um where Paul says, now I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with immoral people, and the Corinthians misunderstood that. They're freaking out. They're going, how do we avoid immoral people? We get in a rocket and we go to the moon because there's no immoral people there. We can't get away from it here. And of course, they misunderstood. They were talking about immoral people who were professing Christ. But we might have something of that frustration hearing what Solomon says here, hearing what Jesus says and say, how do we possibly get away from any source of temptation? We live in a wicked world. But notice, Jesus isn't saying you have to somehow get to a place where there's, there's no sexual anything around you. What he's saying is you need to cut off the things that particularly lead you to temptation. And that's where, you know, what that looks like in each of our lives may be different. What particularly tempts you may be a little bit different than what particularly tempts me. And so Solomon, in, in helping his, his uh, boys with this, he says, here's the easiest thing in the world. Don't go near her. So let's, let's, and we understand, you know, there are places you can go, there are locations you can go where sexual immorality is dished out in all of its ugliness, and we understand that. And so this verse typically says, in application today, don't go near those locations. But you know what? A bigger problem is not, you know, going to that establishment. The, the problem is you can access this without going anywhere. And that's the issue. Um, I've had the privilege with walking and helping and ministering to a lot of men who struggle with sexual sin. There are two types of people, two types of Christian men when they struggle with this. There is the man who is willing to be radical in avoiding temptation. This is the guy who says, I would rather get rid of my smartphone then go to hell. Right? It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body, Jesus says, to go to hell. And there is a type of Christian man struggling with sexual sin, and he says, I would rather give up my smartphone than go to hell. And you know what? That is 
That is the conclusion of a Christian man, of a man who is walking with God. He's struggling, but he's fighting. That's awesome. There is another type of man that I've ministered over the years, and that is the person who is unwilling to be radical in their sin. And you know what type of man that is? That's the type of man who this day is still stuck in the cycle of his sexual sin. I I think with a couple of exceptions, I could document just from the counseling cases here in this church, church's counseling ministry, that guys who succeed and grow in this area, there's a correlation between that success and the willingness to be radical about access. That's not all there is to it, but there is a huge correlation between those two things. What's Solomon saying? The exact same thing. Don't go near the door of her house. Translate that in the 21st century. You're in a dating relationship, teenagers. Don't put your place, don't, don't, don't put yourself in a place where you can compromise. Don't hang out with people that look at pornography, friends that look at pornography as a leisure activity. Um, be wise about your phone, about the internet, about access. Parents, grandparents, we need to think. You know, this is the this is the the mandate for for children. But guess what? We are the ones largely to facilitate all of this. Um, I've said before and and gotten some flack for it, but I, I will say it again. I don't think I don't think that anybody anybody needs unfiltered access to the internet. You remember, when I was growing up, it was cable TV. And you had all these channels. And it was like, okay, we need to block these channels. Because why would you want access to the bad channels? Well, today, guess what? You've got, you've got the full gamut of, of internet access. And I struggle, I just personally tell you, I struggle enough with temptation to sin of all sorts of things. I don't need the device in my pocket making it any easier. And I don't think you do either. So parents, grandparents, think about when, when your kids come over, access in your home, grandparents, when your kids come over to visit you, what sort of guidelines do you have in place in the technology that your children or grandchildren access that's going to help lay out and uphold this principle of access? That's something we need to think about. And I've, I've told some of you parents, if we talked individually, sometime in the near future, um, I'm developing a, a, a workshop, a talk, we'll do it here and probably do it in some other contexts, where we talk about the technology that's available to help filter and block and provide some accountability for this sort of thing. So we'll do that. Okay? But don't go anywhere near temptation. This is, this is the Joseph method of dealing with sexual sin. You leave your coat and you run away. Yes, sir. Yeah, it is. And I, I, let, let's talk about that since, since, since Jack brought it up. Um, 
Keep that, keep that passage open, Jack, because I'm going to have you read something in a minute, if you would, please. Okay? There's, there's, there's three elements, and I, I'm, I'm thinking like a guy here, but there's three elements, and, and Jack just illustrated one of them. And I think because it's, it's relevant to our topic, let's talk about this. Um, there, in, in thinking about battling sexual sin, there, there are three aspects of this that you need to deal with. Jack just talked about the most important one, and that is in your heart, there has to be a resolution, or Job's term, a covenant, a commitment. Uh, a man or a woman that says, I want to walk in purity. I am committed to not... I'm committed to fighting sexual sin in my life and to growing and walking in righteousness and purity. Where does that start? It starts in the heart. You, you can, you know what? You cannot look at pornography for the rest of your life and still be sexually immoral in your heart because Jesus said it's not about the act alone, it's about lusting where? In your heart, okay? And that's why that's so important. The, the, the promise, the commitment, the resolution has to happen at the heart level. You, you, can have, you can have blocking software on your computer, but your heart is unchanged. And the reality is that that's not honoring to God, nor is it really uh, um, the sort of change that God wants to have in your life. So, so there's a heart resolution Okay, that's the most important thing. Jack, look, look down, since you have that open there, look down just a few verses. I think it's verse 6 or 7. And uh, uh, Jack is quoting from Job 31. Okay, would you read uh, verse 7, please? Okay, so here, here's what he's saying. Job is saying, I have to deal with my heart first. I have to have this commitment, this covenant, this resolution in my heart to not look with sexual desire at anybody who is not my spouse. Okay, I made a covenant in my eyes, okay? But notice a few verses down, he says there's another problem. And the other problem is, my eyes are going to see things sometime that create occasion for sexual sin and sexual desire. So his commitment there, he says, I have to do something so that my heart doesn't follow my my eyes. Okay, there you go. So there needs to be some level of I commitment. Okay? Um, should we talk about snakes, Alan? Should we do that? Okay, so, so let's say Alan and I are... are um, we got to run to Walmart, get some things for mom. And as we're walking down aisle six, there is some occasion for sexual temptation, either in advertising or a person or something like that. And at that point, we have to put into place eye commitment, which is diverting your eyes away from that occasion for sexual temptation. And we have a code word. We, I, this is not unique. I heard this from another pastor. And it's a code word, so we don't make a big deal. Say, oh, look at the immodestly dressed woman, son. Let, no, so, so we don't have to do that. Look at the harlot. No, 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 we don't, don't say that. Um, what do we say? What's our code? We say snakes. Snakes on the right. Snakes on aisle 12. Right? 
Okay, it's just a little code word. Okay, so we don't make a big deal. We're not trying to make a scene. It's just dad-son communication. Our girls do it sometimes also if they see something to alert us. And that's, that's, the, that's the key code word to implement eye commitment. Okay? And it's something as simple as diverting your eyes. I was listening to, to Heath Lambert's uh, podcast, our ACBC executive director, talking about pursuing purity while you're at the beach or while you're at the pool. And, uh, man, that can be a challenge. Um, one of the things he said is, keep your eyes focused on the face of the other person. Okay, so that, that takes self-discipline, self-control. It's eye control, but that's the level there. And then what what um, what Solomon is talking about here in Proverbs chapter five is what we might call external control, and that is don't go near, or we want to radically amputate meaning I'm removing any occasion for sexual sin, sexual temptation. But you see, it's a package deal. We we can't just deal with the external because you can still be struggling with sexual sin in your heart. It's not just external. You have to eyes because eyes are the main way, at least for a man, that sexual temptation arises. So we got to think about eye commitment. And then finally, and most importantly, what Jack read, Job 31, verse 1, to make a covenant or a commitment or a promise or a resolution with your heart that should these two things fail, I'm committed to purity in my heart at all costs. Okay, Does that make sense? So you've you got, you got this multi-front battle that's going on. And I think as we help our young people, as uh, adults, as we continue to, to fight for sexual purity in our lives and avoid sexual sin, all three of these elements need to be in play for success and growth in this area. So, so thanks for bringing that up. That's, that's a great, great verse. And it, it, I think it illustrates uh, one of the most important um, aspects of this, of this battle. Okay, so Proverbs chapter 5, if we want to go back there and... Um, Well, look at that. It's 1027. Um, let's just read the next verse, and then we'll think about it between now and next week, okay? So, arm yourself with wisdom from God's Word. Understand the deceitfulness and destructiveness of sexual morality. Cons- um, don't go anywhere near temptation. Number four, consider the long-term consequences. Look at verse 9 of Proverbs chapter 5. If you don't keep your way far from her, that's verse 8, you will give your vigor, verse 9, to others and your years to the cruel one and strangers will be filled with your strength and your hard-earned goods will go to the house of an alien. And then you groan at your final end. What's he saying? Sexual sin gets its power and momentum largely by causing you to focus and think about only the promise of pleasure in the moment. It's a, it only works if you think short term. And so what Solomon is saying here is, son, you need to stop and zoom out and think about If I do this, what happens in my life? 
What are the long-term consequences? And he's going to highlight for us four long-term consequences that are hindrances for sexual temptation. In other words, four consequences that will help you to stop sexual temptation before it turns into sexual sin. Okay, So your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to look over those verses, figure out the four things. We'll come back next week and we'll talk about it. Okay, Father, thank you for time in the Word today. And Lord, how we pray. Um, how we pray for your grace and mercy that we would be humble and broken over our sin and we would long for your help and your work in our hearts to battle and to grow in in the area of purity. Lord, even even raising this topic, there are for for many in the room here, there are memories of past things, there are regret uh, and guilt and struggle even to this day. Because we know at some level we have failed in the area of sexual purity. Lord, I pray that we would draw near to you, knowing that forgiveness in Christ is full and complete, that there is grace greater than all our sin. And Lord, that we might see that in the gospel there is hope that whatever the level of struggle of the past or even struggle today, that the Lord Jesus because of his life and death and resurrection, because of the Holy Spirit inside of us, because of the capability of the Scriptures as they are wielded by the Spirit, and because of our precious connection, our union with Christ, and all that he is connected and and channeled into us through our salvation, that there is hope for us. And there is hope for change and hope for growth and hope for maturity. Even when battles with these sorts of things have been long and weary. And Lord, we pray for our young people. Would you build in them, might they long, like Job, to have a pure heart and to make that commitment between you and them that they would not look with sexual sin on somebody else. Lord, I pray, would you be merciful to our teenagers, to our our 20-somethings here? Will you protect them? Will you give them grace? Will you grow them and mature them that they might avoid uh, so much of what the world revels in? Lord, it is, in, in many regards, harder to grow up today. And uh, so we appeal for your mercy and grace in their lives. Would you help us as parents and grandparents and great-grandparents and as a church to come alongside and to help them and to walk with them and to pursue the grace of the Lord Jesus together as we uh, pursue that purity in our lives. Lord, we love you. Will you work in us at whatever level of struggle today, in the past, in the future? Uh, Will you work in us? that you might be honored in Christ's name. Amen.